Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Amin Connolly. I'm the editor-at-large at Sports Pro. Hope you're well. Very happy to be back bringing you another session from the Sports Pro Insider Series today. We're going to be hearing shortly from Danita Johnson, the President of Business Operations at Major League Soccer's DC United, and Mickey Lawler, the President of the WTA, about the future of female leadership in sport and about some of their own experiences getting into the positions that they now occupy. Uh, They spoke to CNN Sports' Amanda Davis at the most recent Sports Pro Insider Series event looking at diversity and inclusion. Uh, That's coming up. Um, Before then, we've got Sam Karp, the Deputy Editor of Sports Pro. Hi, Sam. Hi, Owen. Uh, How are you doing? I'm not too bad, Sam. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all. Very well indeed. Thank you. Glad to hear it. Sam, before we we throw over to that session, you have a new issue of Sports Pro magazine that we're going to talk about uh, for a few minutes. What can you tell us about issue 113? Yeah, we do indeed, Owen. Uh, Issue 113 of Sports Pro Magazine, all about federations in flux. Yeah, so those who have uh, regularly received our magazine will know that this is kind of the the time of year that we typically focus on international federations and and major event hosts to to coincide with the the Sports Accord World Sport and Business Summit, which uh, it was confirmed last week will will now be pushed back from May until November. but yeah, in, in any case, uh, I think now still feels an appropriate time to be talking about about IFs and, and event hosts, given you know what is coming up this summer, uh, Tokyo twenty twenty being the obvious one. But you know, also given what what has happened in the last in the last twelve months, you know, we talk a lot about all the major domestic competitions that have been able to get back up, up and running since since sport was stopped by the pandemic. But um, you know, what we maybe don't cover or think about as much as is those IFs that that have probably been most affected in terms of event cancellations you know they've they've been stopped from staging international competition because of because of travel restrictions and what have you which you know has had had significant knock on effect on those those destinations that were that were penciled in to host them so um so yeah i think it's it's fair to say that covid-19 has you know it's altered the business of event hosting for for the foreseeable future you know it's going to it's going to require closer collaboration between rights holders, local organizers to ensure that, you know, ensure that risk is risk is shared, benefits are realized mutually going forward. So yeah, no doubt over the last years, last year you've had a lot of a lot of IFs, destinations, thinking about those things, asking questions, whether they whether they be, you know, existential ones about themselves, their purpose, um, the format of their events, their futures, the the challenges that lie ahead. Um, yeah, a lot a lot of which we've attempted to to highlight and package within this issue of the magazine. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot to delve into. And I suppose as well as the COVID crunch, there are plenty of questions that IFs are facing and that event promoters and hosts are facing that we talked about over the past year, you know, concepts that have been accelerated by some of the compromises that have been required by the pandemic. And I suppose lots to lots to cover in that respect as well. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, just a couple of federations that we've highlighted in in this edition, um, 
the UCI is one of them, whose president, David Lepartia, was interviewed by our editorial director, Michael Long, in a piece that some of our listeners might have might have read last week when it was published on our website. Um, you know, as you, you talk about there, some of the things that have been accelerated by the pandemic, one of the things that they did uh, towards the end of last year was debut the uh, the UCI Cycling Esports World Championships, which which took place on Zwift in December. So, you know, there was plenty of time plenty of time to, for for Mike to talk to David Lepartia about that, as well as you know other event formats coming up, such as the UCI Track Champions League, uh, which is debuting later this year in a uh, in partnership with the Eurosport Events. You know, as well as all that, there's there's plenty. Uh, they also cover um, you know the financial impact of COVID nineteen. How the UCI managed to salvage a season last year, which included all three Grand Tours, um, twenty-one of the thirty-six planned races on the UCI World Tour, and you know plenty of other things such as you know perhaps the need to end cycling's reliance on the Tour de France, coping with some of the existing power struggles within the sport, and and also new event formats. And I think you know plenty. Of, there's plenty of stuff in that feature um, where there's sort of there's a lot of focus on unity and collaboration. Um, something that kind of comes across throughout the magazine. Um, there's a lot of calls for those two things. And it also came across in another feature, which I actually put together about the International Table Tennis Federation, which was, you know, they were undergoing quite a sizable transformation even before COVID-19 with the with the establishment of World Table Tennis, uh, their new commercial vehicle and event structure. Um, so I spoke to ITTF CEO Steve Dainton for this one. You know, in the federation world, it's kind of it's impossible not to talk about that constant tug of war between innovation, modernizing, doing things differently, while at the same time kind of preserving the traditions that these IFs are sort of seeing being seen as being there to uphold. So, you know, it's kind of interesting to talk to Steve about how they managed to set up this new entity while you know trying to convince stakeholders at the ITTF that that the creation of WTT was the best thing for the sport. So, yeah, you know, it's kind of touching on that idea that, you know, if the federation itself doesn't do it, then, you know, there's plenty of other people who, who are going to be willing to do so. You look at the examples of the International Swimming League in the last few years, um, rumblings of breakaways in football as well. You know, you don't have to be a federation to set up these competitions now if you've got a uh, an attractive commercial proposition and a good business model. So yeah, it was particularly interesting to talk to him about that. Yeah. And that's also something that I covered a little bit. I took a kind of overview of where, not so much where the Federation space was going, but where the operation of sport is going, who is going to have particular roles in governance, who's going to be responsible for creating new events in the next few years, the possibility for, you know, an international swimming league kind of involving established players within a sport in the way that it has but also things like overtime elite which we've seen launched in the last couple of months where it's a different approach to establishing a fan base and a different approach to connecting with talent pathways also things like world team tag which i think is going to be discussed at sports pro life which is a completely different approach to building a a sports event and quite out there in, in that regard but, you know, some of the other responsibilities that federations have and some of the other challenges that they've got to rise to face and where they're going to be best placed to address those, where they might need outside actors to support that, where they might need to build up their own capabilities, whether that is capturing a fan base or whether that's digital engagement or whether that's 
slightly tougher things like um you know uh, community protection and an athlete safety and particularly the safety of young athletes whether that's things like stimulating participation and whether that is better left to an organization like a park run um or whether it's best done in, in partnership with an organization like a park run in the way that world athletics has done it's kind of i don't don't really answer many of those questions but i certainly lay a few of them out um in another feature in there timo lume who people will have heard on the podcast he is also in the magazine and the destinations report sam which you alluded to a little bit earlier on what can we find in there yeah i mean it it takes a look at you know some of the new challenges and opportunities that are going to be facing sports destinations worldwide in the wake of the pandemic i mean last year we obviously saw a handful of destinations step in to to host events during the pandemic, whether it was you know Orlando staging the NBA um, and MLS bubbles, the UAE hosting the IPL season, and and also the UFC's Fight Island, Budapest taking on neutral Champions League fixtures in, in the International Swimming League season, which we touched on before. And you know even as we continue into this year, you know we're gonna we're gonna still see some of those bubbles. Um, a lot of the questions that existed. Um, previously about what major events are going to look like are maybe going to be answered, you know, whether both local and international fans are going to be able to attend, you know, also just in terms of how hosts have to adapt even logistically, perhaps by taking this sort of hybrid approach where, you know, I think there have been a couple of events already this year where there've been some, some competitors competing um, remotely and others in person. So, you know, we look at kind of some of those challenges which which lie ahead and, and how hosts are going to adapt to those. There's also some in-depth profiles on on a pair of cities in, in Copenhagen and Ottawa, which, you know, perhaps haven't been renowned for event hosting up until now, but, you know, they are putting together some very compelling propositions to attract more sporting events in, in the wake of the pandemic. And there's also a piece on Queensland, which, um, as a lot of people know, has has really cemented its event hosting credentials in recent years, and um, and this year was named as the preferred bid for the for the 2032 Olympics. So yeah, plenty to unpick there, and we've also for the first time, I believe, put together a list of seven up and coming destinations whose uh, whose recent show of hosting ambition is you know kind of. It's mark them out as as ones to watch in in the years ahead. So um, all of that plus uh, the usual complement of a uh, regulars. Uh, so plenty to chew over for our readers. Yeah, some fascinating stuff in there from the sound of things. I think the other thing that will come together over the the course of the next year or so as we come out of the pandemic is the way that the needs of hosts and and the capabilities of federations or the capabilities of people putting on events and creating events sort of start to web together a little bit and where different types of events perhaps evolve to to mesh with the identities and and the purposes of of different hosts i think it's a, it's a really intriguing space and certainly getting a snapshot of it now will be a valuable thing to do where can people find the magazine sam good question owen um if people haven't received their copies through the letterbox just yet um then they should be arriving very soon indeed um and by the time this podcast goes out it will also be available digitally so if you would prefer to read it online you can head over to our website sportspromedia.com where you can read this edition and in fact each edition of the magazine that we've produced since march last year all for free so uh fill your boots 
Okay, look out for that. And then, well, I say in the next couple of days, it will probably all have gone live by the time uh, by the time you're listening to this. We are going to move on, as discussed, to our session from the most recent Insider series. It's a timely one, Sam, because one of the people we're hearing from is Danita Johnson, the first ever uh, black president of a major league soccer team at DC United. And she's being joined this week by the first woman to become a general manager of a major league soccer team and the second woman to be the general manager of a major league team in the US. That's Lucy Rushton, um, who is joining from Atlanta United to take the big sporting director job there. If that's an appropriate analog sporting directors and general managers, I know there's subtle differences between the way that these organizations are structured, but um, another another landmark in uh, in female leadership within the sports industry. And that is the topic of discussion uh, in the session. We're going to hear Denita Johnson and Mickey Lawler, the president of the WTA, talking to Amanda Davies from CNN Sport. Uh, if you enjoy this snippet from the Insider Series, you're also able to catch up with everything we've done on demand if you head to sportsprointsiderseries.com. Uh, just within the event that we are revisiting here you can watch other panels discussing the role of sport in social justice and uh, successfully executing plans in diversity and inclusion um we've got the likes of leon mann and janae elsey who've both appeared on the podcast before uh, the next event which will be happening on the 19th of may uh, will be covering esports and gaming but we've got i think over a dozen i haven't counted and i'm, I'm not going to uh not going to catalogue it now, but we've got quite a few for you to go back over and there's hours and hours of free content there. So head to sportsbrandsiderseries.com and uh, check it out. Right, Sam, should we should we hand over? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, thanks very much for your time. Cheers, Owen. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to all of you for listening to us. Um, I hope you enjoy the next kind of 50 minutes or so uh, from Danita Johnson, Mickey Lawler and asking the questions. Amanda Davies. Get the very best of SportsPro sent straight to your inbox. Head to sportspromedia.com and sign up for the SportsPro Daily. You'll get a roundup of all the biggest stories, features and opinion from our team every single morning. You'll find that all and much more at sportspromedia.com. SportsPro, connecting and inspiring the business world of sport. I'm delighted that I'm going to be joined for the next hour or so by... Anita Johnson and Mickey Lawler, who you can see on the screen. We're going to be discussing the issue of, of women in leadership and executive journeys. So thank you both so much for your time. I know it's uh, morning where you are, uh, from both for joining us from the United States. Uh, it's such a big topic, this, isn't it? Let's just kick off, I think, with a brief introduction from, from both of you um, and how you've got to to where you've got to uh, in a nutshell. Danita, let's start with you. Sure, um, my name's Danita Johnson. I'm the president of business operations for DC United, a soccer club and based in Washington, DC. Um, I've spent the last 15 of my year, 15 years working in sports, um, primarily in women's basketball, but have also worked in the NBA and the NBA G League. Um, and so I've spent many years heading up different revenue opportunity lines within the organizations and in my previous role prior to this role, served as the president and COO for the LA Sparks, overseeing all of our business operations, really focusing on partnership, um, overall marketing strategy, uh, ticket sales, all that great stuff. So 
I'm happy to be here. It's great to see you. Did you kick off, start out wanting to work in sport? I did, actually. I went to school and studied sports management. Um, my dream was to work in sports in some capacity. Um, I think as you go through college and you figure things out, it gives you an opportunity to find out exactly what your lane is, but definitely was something that I wanted to be in from the very beginning. And Mickey, let's come to you. Thank you, Amanda. My name is Mickey Lawler and I'm president of the WTA, which is the Women's Tennis Association. And I have spent working in sports since 1986. Um, so I started on the men's side of the game, working for the Nabisco Grand Prix, which is now the ATP. And then I worked for Octagon, which is an athlete management and marketing company for 27 years, based in Paris, London, and then DC. And um, and now I work for the WTA. So while at Octagon, I focused mainly on tennis, but also on the international expansion of the business. And uh, and I've been at the WTA since uh, 2015. Okay, uh, I've got so much to ask all of you, but um, to anybody who's joining us, please do remember to ask your questions using the, the, the tab on the right hand side. We're gonna be throwing them in. We're not gonna wait till the end of the discussion. Mickey, what did you set out wanting to do? What was the initial aim when you kind of were thinking X number of years into the future and how you pictured your career? So opposite to Danita, I had no idea that one could even work in sports. So um, I, my grandfather was a professional soccer player and, uh, but, but in his day, you couldn't, you actually he he was a professional soccer player but he worked for the company it was the Philips team in Holland and uh, I set out to be a um, an interpreter so I wanted to work for the UN as an interpreter because I'd lived all over the world and I spoke several languages so I thought um, my mission in life would be to help uh, different people communicate with each other and uh, that's I failed miserably. <laughs> I don't know, communicating through tennis, you're doing a, a yeah. pretty good job at that. But you know, at what point did you realize a career in interpreting wasn't for you and it, you, it was gonna become something else? Well, actually it's, it's very interesting and relevant to the topic uh, that we're discussing today. So I um, had been in graduate school in the US where I was offered a scholarship uh, in research and a teaching assistant uh, position at the University of Delaware in the Department of Linguistics. But I didn't have a visa to work in the US once I graduated. So I went back to Europe and in Europe, I couldn't find a job because I didn't type fast enough and I didn't know shorthand. So really the only jobs for women were in secretarial positions and in administrative support. And so you know, I had studied for seven years and and I thought, you know, I in, in the States, I was pushed to um, to to do things that, uh, you, you know, it was seen as a plus. And I won this women in research competition and, and there were all these opportunities. And in Europe, it was the complete opposite. So I decided that I should just teach language until somebody recognized this great talent and or, you know, what was wrong with people? Why don't you? So I was on the metro on the way to 
uh, an English lesson and um, and I saw an ad in the paper uh, and it was for a press attaché for the Nabisco Grand Prix, the Men's International Professional Tennis Council. So I applied, got the job and um, and the rest is history. That's how I got into sports. Complete coincidence. So that's an interesting question, isn't it? How much of a career path is hard work, graft, putting yourself in the right place at the right time? How much of it Every is luck? <laughs> well, you make your luck, right? So you prepare for those moments when, uh, and you know, for me at the time when I interviewed for that first position, I was competing with a woman who was in, in uh, she was a press attaché in, in F1. And the thing that, that got me the job <clears throat> was that I spoke five languages, she spoke four. So mind you, that was lucky for me too, because you know I, I didn't say to my parents, oh, I need to learn five languages. They put us in these very difficult positions of moving from you know, Bolivia to Kenya and and having to, to learn English, you know, so or having to learn Spanish or German or French. And so um, you, you really do make your own luck, but you the stars have to be aligned as well. Danita, how much of a, a career plan have you had and how much of it has been taking the opportunities that have presented as and when they've presented? Yeah, I think I've always had a plan in my mind of just the continued advancement of what I've wanted. How and when it comes, comes on its own. Like, I, I think for me, I can't determine necessarily the timing. I can't work in a clock that I create. I feel like that's fate, that's destiny. Um, but very similar to what Mickey said, I said, in, in the meantime, even though I know where I want to go or what potentially I want from the next thing that I do and the work I'm doing, I think it's about doing the current work really well. Um, focusing in on that. So when the opportunities do come or when they are presented, I'm ready. And so I, that's how I prepare for each piece. Um, as far as just understanding my journey, as I've advanced in my career, one of the things that I've really started to focus on is not necessarily just like a title. Um, it's actually like, how does the work make me feel as a person? Um, what does it add value to myself? What does it add value to others and those around me? It's really what I seek out when evaluating opportunities now. Um, early on, I think it was a little bit different. In your, like when you're starting in your career, I think it's a little different. You're trying to get a skill and do these things. I think for me, the feeling aspect has become really big in, in the combination of growing my skill sets. Both of you have been groundbreaking, uh, have carved a path where women haven't necessarily gone before in your careers up to this point. How much have you been aware of that, Danita, and what you've been doing? I think I'm aware because the world reminds me every single day. <laughs> but I mean, you know, people remind you every day, but I'm very aware of it. Um, I understand the importance of it. I don't take it lightly. I think it is something that um, separates me, makes me a little bit different in that capacity, but also gives me an opportunity to showcase what women, women of color are capable to do in this space. And so I believe the representation is important. 
Um, and it's something that I take a lot of pride in and make sure that as I move through this world and I learn things, not only am I gaining that, but how am I also helping others and providing this information that I'm learning? And <clears throat> I go through and think about just regular conversations I have with whether it's past employees or friends, like we have an opportunity to pass on knowledge and things that we learn. And I think when you sit in these seats, that's very important. Um, it's no point in holding it to yourself. Mickey, have you always embraced it? I remember I, I sat down to do an interview with a, a senior woman in Formula One and literally it was about being a woman in motorsport and her opening line was, please tell me you're not here to do an interview about the fact I'm a woman in <laughs> motorsport. And I kind of looked at my producer and I was like, oh. Um, and it, it brings a, a huge weight of responsibility, which you don't necessarily ask for it's not necessarily why you go into doing what you're doing yes um but 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 you do yes i've always embraced it uh and and i've so different to danita i'm much older so um when, when i started it, it was um the hardest part was that other women were very protective, protective of their little piece of of the world of sports, and um, and and it was almost as if they wanted to keep it that way. And so um, I've, you know, have I been aware of many things? Maybe not as much as I should have been, but uh, but that I've I've been very conscious of, and I have resisted that um very strongly so so to me you know when i think about ground working work ground breaking work i've thought i've always thought of it as a team effort and maybe i had the the vision because of the big world that i've been able to see and the many years that i've been able to live but um but it's a team effort and uh and i make sure that i lift other women into into this fantastic opportunity that is sports how easy is it when you are doing that to have carved your own path how much have you felt a pressure to to fit into a box or a role that maybe other people would think you should have fitted into well you you just um you you know you just do your thing i, I don't think about it and i never have um in 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 looking at this conversation and the direction it was going i contemplated the fact that yeah there were many uncomfortable situations many many events happened that were extremely unfair but you just put your head down and um you know and and deliver the value because at the end of the day that's what's going to change the conversation you know we have to do we have to over deliver and do twice as much and balance five times as much yes but there are other benefits that we that we get being women you know i wouldn't change it for the world so has it been easy no but i, I it's it's been amazing and um so head down, don't think about it, just do it. That's easier said than done though, no? <laughs> yes, yes, but there's great recompense for it. You know, being 
being um, able to be a role model to help others, that's a huge privilege. And, uh, and I, I am very thankful for that, for that privilege. Danita, are you, do you agree or you know, have you always, how easy has it been to stick to you? I think it's challenging at times. Um, I think there's moments where you question yourself, you question your abilities at times. Um, and a lot of it just comes from outside noise. It's the impacts of others or, or their points of view that can easily affect you as a person in the work that you're doing. I think that as it, I don't think that is singular to race or gender. I think that's in anybody um, probably experiences that in the world. I think confidence is key. And I think confidence comes over time. Your ability to execute, your ability to grow, give you confidence that you start to realize who you are is just okay. And I think that takes time for people to build within their careers. You can think about somebody that started early on. I mean, for an example, think about a salesperson on their first day of work versus a salesperson two years in, right? They're gaining confidence day over day in what they're saying. And I think for us in leadership, it's challenging, but confidence comes over time. And the reason we're sitting in these seats is because over time, we've gain that confidence. We've learned our skill set. We feel that we can sit in front of this room and not even see people in front of us and be able to speak to the things that we know. Um, that that to me is, it takes time to get there. And I think that's okay. And um, I think a lot of people don't realize how much effort you put into yourself to build that up, to be able to take some of these things that you take um, and, and the comments and, and, the, and the opinions that really don't matter, but everybody feels as if they do. It, it takes time to get there. I think that that word you use learned is quite interesting. In that I, and I think a, a, maybe there isn't an awareness from a lot of people about how much work and effort goes into getting to where you have got to. How much of it, in your opinion, have you naturally got with inside you? How much of it is learned and worked upon throughout your career? How much of it is, you know, you maybe taking bits from other people? Yeah, I think there's a core, like we're born with something that makes us all special, right? So there's a core within us. It's whether we learn how to actually learn how to activate that within ourselves. Right. How do you turn that piece of you on? And I think that's the learned behavior feeling like I can reach my potential within myself and I can ignite that and then be able to share that with others. And then to me, that becomes like the study, like whether you're reading books, listening to podcasts, um, investing in your own things that bring you joy life, that starts to build that confidence. That's that learn. So I think that is, you know, it's why I read books. It's why I talk about things beyond just the, like I know my business world, but there's things that are characteristics as me as a human being that add to me being better in the business that I do. So I think that takes the study. I think that takes the learning and that's the confidence builder to then be able to say, I can walk into any room, I can do these things. And at the same time, I know the business. This is an interesting question. I'm going to uh, bring this up. It's my use of technology, which definitely needs to be learned and improved. Start live answer. What has been the most challenging obstacle you've had to face? I like the second bit, actually. Mickey, what made you fall in love with what you do? Oof, well, to be able to work with, with athletes who are the best in the world is, uh, you know, <clears throat> Is very stimulating, and um, 
and this the 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 passion um develops from from so so many things i mean first of all we're we're opening new geographies we're we're um helping women all over the world um it transcends the court the tennis court the sports world uh, so it, it it touches the entire world and and that's um something that i fell in love with and and actually that is what i set out to do as a as a child um one comment i, I would like to make to what danita said because it's very interesting i agree wholeheartedly with everything and and she's articulated it so well but i also think that there's a big role to play um with humility so being humble opens you up to that learning that um and and you keep learning every day but being humble and respectful of what your team members bring to the table and uh, and and helping them unlock that potential is 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 great um and that's what i love um also is that you know you you've got this extended family and and you you lift each other up and together you're able to do amazing things and there's a parallel between what we do as executives and and employees um team members and the athletes so this this balancing act between being humble and being confident is also very important for an athlete because it keeps the athlete motivated to get better and better and better and i'll give you an example that when i have to speak like stand on a stage and uh do a public presentation I, my heart rate as is is i'm literally afraid of having a heart attack on stage and i think you know are they hearing my heartbeat and i'm so so um scared of of doing that and and you know i ask myself what do i have to say that it's that is worth their time and and i hate that you know and, yeah. and so yeah you you work on that you work on that this is easy for me because you know i don't know that there i mean i can see that there are all these people but we're not standing on a stage so so those things you know it's okay it's okay to have your heartbeat at 180 whatever it keeps you grounded and because the worst thing that could happen is that you think wow i'm so great look at me i'm blah 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 no so i you know i i just have accepted it i'm going to be scared to death to speak in public and that's just the way it is period and if they hear the heartbeat so what where do you stand on emotion and i've been known to walk into a a room uh in important meetings and burst into tears <laughs> not my finest hour but where do you stand as being emotional as a woman in doing what you do it's fundamental. I think it's fundamental because you have to be emotionally invested to um, to put in a hundred percent of yourself, and you're going to expect others to do the same. So, um, yeah, I, I know that we talked about having a thick skin. I, I don't. I don't have a thick skin, and I think it's okay. Um, yes, we we need to use our strengths, and you know, we've got our male colleagues to to keep us in check and um you know and when they say don't cry don't cry don't cry <laughs> so, sorry <laughs> sorry i'm going to cry because i'm invested and you want me to be invested do you share that view danita 
as far as crying and, as, and you know, emotion like, involved with what you're doing oh emotion in the workplace i think yes i mean it's expressive it's a part <clears> of us men and women i think both should show emotion in what they're doing like it's that's what makes us human um it's an important piece of the work that we do and i know like when you talk about like in that question of like what made you fall in love with your work part of that is a sense love is a sense of emotion right so there's a connectivity to what we do through emotion so it comes out in different ways it's, um, I, I was uh, part of a really interesting conversation about what this year and the pandemic has done to traditional roles and you know, the workplace and home life has very much been blurred. And I've seen this uh, question here or the comment from Belinda Moore. I don't know how much you've had to work from home in the last year, but it blurs the boundaries between working and mummy. How challenging do you think that has been for for women who've had to pick up a large chunk of the load in the last year. And I know you, you can argue this both ways. There's been a lot of discussion about how damaging the last 12 months has been in terms of the role of women in society. But then I've, ha I've had some conversations with, with some women at work saying, actually, a lot of the mask has slipped and people have seen the reality of it and have had to accept the reality of the situation. Well, I've I've loved. I mean, of course, the pandemic has been horrific, and it has added a uh, hundred layers of stress to uh, to what we have to do. But um, but working from home, I if when I had small kids, I would have loved it because my kids are older now. And but I'll never forget. It's imprinted in my memory that when my son was two or three years old, and I would you know get ready for work, he'd look at me and mommy working you know because i was putting on a suit <laughs> mommy working no saturday and it was heartbreaking so i would have loved it and i do love it uh today because you can just you know you, your day is flexible you don't have this these stressors of the two bookends of getting to work and going home mm -hmm. but yeah the the lines are blurred that's the downside do you think as a as an executive people have had to embrace life more i mean you would think that you know the default setting is we need you to do your job you've got to work crack on get it done but there's had to be more of an acceptance of of life over the last 12 months yeah. i think that's probably been some challenges for a lot of executives when that's not how you are quote unquote raised in this business um where it's bell. not I don't know whether anyone could hear that <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> but, but but we're trained we've been trained in like you work you know you're at the office 7 a.m till eight o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night like you've been trained in this in so many ways and i think for some executives and i think it's probably very challenging to break that type of habit that was created <laughs> for me personally i'm right there with mickey i love working from home um, I like the flexibility of it. I think it offers a lot. Could be from my generation um, that it, it does that as well. So that probably has a little bit to do with it. But I do, I know there's other challenges that people have. Um, and so I also don't want to be insensitive to that. But I do think it does create a great sense of balance in the work that we get to do every single day. Since 2008, Sports Pro Magazine has set the standard for the business of sport in print, and it keeps on getting better. Every quarter, our outstanding editorial team gets under the skin of the industry 
talking to the most important leaders and the most influential thinkers around to take you to the heart of what's really happening in sport and what's coming next. We look at the big ideas, the pivotal themes and the critical numbers. With powerful storytelling, provocative opinion and insightful commentary, as well as guides to the deals, the developments, the destinations and the movers and the shakers, it's your essential industry companion. Head to the shop at sportspromedia.com to subscribe now. SportsPro, connecting and inspiring the business world of sport. Uh, Mickey, who has been the biggest inspiration in terms of your career? Who have you looked up to, looked up to, or perhaps had as a mentor? Oof, well, so so many people, and I think that that's important for everybody is to surround yourself with really great role models. And uh, my my grandfather was an important role model. My mother, my father. Um, my previous boss, my current boss, my younger colleagues. Um, it's interesting because I, I lived through the shift of when I was growing uh, growing up in business, you had to be of a certain age and have certain experience to get to certain positions. And now those positions are untenable without the knowledge and skill set of the youngest um, people coming into to the workforce. So the uh, the understanding of, of technology and the potential that that delivers in terms of growth and, and next levels uh, for our businesses is really key. So, so, you know, I used to look towards older people. Now I look to younger people. And, and that has been a very interesting shift. And I say to the younger people, you know, if we add me to you or you to me, we have a super person. And so let's, you know, focus on that. Danita? Um, sorry, I was just going to say, I mean, I think for me, it's been several different people across the board. Um, I think it comes at different points in my life. So when I was early on in my career, which is those first group of people that I was working with that were inspirational to me, obviously, you know, your parents and, and those, my parents obviously play a big factor into my life of, of that. But I think for me, it's it's watching other people across the industry, both male and female counterparts that have just been a part of the journey with me. You know, my I've been blessed to work with really great leaders um, that have shaped me. And some of them have different styles that I now have, but they add added to who I was and, and made me better. Um, so I think the leadership I've had the opportunity from team to team that I've been with has been very influential in my overall career. I'm pinging slightly across the place. Let's go back to the um, impact of the, the pandemic uh, to, the, to the broader issue that we're talking about. Do you think the COVID pandemic has accelerated advances in diversity and inclusion in sports and society? Who wants to go first? Danita, go ahead. I, say, I don't know if it was COVID or, <laughs> or everything that happened last year around this time. So I, I, I don't necessarily say it was COVID. I think it was a lot of the racial injustice pieces that came along with it um, that happened to coincide at the same timing um, in which COVID occurred. So I do feel like that actually has had a bigger effect on the diversity inclusion space in sports than COVID. Um, and that is where, I mean, I think it's part of the reason I'm sitting here today, not saying not not to 
discredit any of my skill set, I think the opportunity to think different and try different things and, and push things forward has created a lot of different opportunities in this space for people at this point in time. And um, it's one where, you know, you have to be able to walk through that door and but also not discredit the work that you did to get there. So what do you think um, the focus this year on racial inequality and injustice has done to the gender discrimination discussion in the workplace. If we're here on a panel about women in leadership, where does the, the female discussion stand in what is obviously such a much bigger issue? I think it's two separate issues. Like one is not comparative to like, it's so systematically separate in that capacity of the issue of race versus gender. Um, that I do believe it's two different parallels of the discussion. Um, what we deal with from racial injustices, um, because when you put women together, race, you're not categorizing it in race. You're talking about women as a whole, even though it is, there are clear lines of um, differences amongst women in different groups. Um, but I, I would say it's, it's two separate things in my book. Mickey, what's what's your perspective? I agree with Danita, um, but when there's focus on any sort of inequality, um, it it helps every other discussion. So the the female discussion, you know, we've been and actually and the racial discussion because um, when I started in the in the late sixties. Um, or mid-60s, there was the whole issue of apartheid in South Africa, which was getting a lot of, um, a lot of focus. Um, so it, I, I just think I, I'm so frustrated by both discussions because, you know, we, we're, we're human beings. And, and I know that sounds so simple, but it's, it, it also this continuous focus on it, it creates an imbalance on the others. It creates divisiveness. And, and you know, now you, you've got a, a situation where the, the white boy is going to go last in line, even though he may have been an incredible student and, and all this. So I, I just think, you know, everybody's equal based on merit. You're judged based on merit and the value that you bring to the table. And every human being needs to be offered the same opportunity to deliver that value, period. So, you know, I uh, am responsible for the, the commercial growth of the WTA. And, um, and I tell you, I have conversations with big brands that I know need to spend in women's, in the women's space. And they're looking at uh, women's tennis, which is, you know, has a long history, has a, a, a big um, kind of runway that has been traveled already. So it's a solid business. And they're looking at um, at other other properties that are much younger, much cheaper, and they're going to go with the other properties because it's cheaper, yet it ticks. I've invested in women's sports and I, I, I can throw up when I'm in those conversations. I get so nauseous about it because... <clears throat> People, you know, just stop. How ignorant. <clears throat> See, I'm nauseous. Um, so, you know, when uh, when you hear the the head of anyway, um, I just wish to stop the discussion. 
it's time we're all human beings, period. It's, it's disgusting. So that's my opinion. What's your response to those discussions? How do you hit back at that? Oh, well, it, you know, it depends on, there's no one size fit all answer, but you, you, you have to, uh, <clears throat> facts. Mm-hmm. Our audience, 700 million people around the world. Look at the demographic, look at our growth, look at what we, the ROI that we can deliver to your, to your investment. And so, um, again, just like being a female in the workplace, you have to over deliver, overwork. Um, you know, you, you just need to leave no stone unturned when you present your case. Um, but they're still, they're, they're thinking, wow, you know, I can have this soccer team or that NFL team for, um, you know, 10 more million or whatever. So, uh, you know, I don't know this, this discussion is for the female space and I'm going to spend over here. So I, once I make my case, they decide. And thankfully we've got some great partners who've made the right decision. But it's hard, you know, we're still having the discussion. What can I say? Nikki, I feel you on so many levels. <laughs> and I, I know I obviously am with DC United, but I spent most of my career in the WNBA. And yeah, I, when we talk about the devalue of female athletics in this country and around the world at times, is just absolutely insane. And we, when it's like, one, they'll give you a bit, and two, if they give me a bit, they couldn't give you a bit. And it's just like, it can't, and they have 10 times more to invest in the space. And it just, yeah, yeah, I feel you. You know, yeah. you know, when I was a kid, um, my dad took my brother and I to see uh, Pan American basketball. And we saw mm-hmm. a men's game and we saw a women's game. And he's, and then at the end of the night, uh, he said to us, "Do you want to do you want to see another game tomorrow?" And and I said, "Yeah, but I want to see the women's game." And my little brother said, "Yeah, I want to see the women's game too. I liked it better." And I remember being so proud of him. And my dad said, "Well, you know, he got very worried." And he said, to, "Well, um, to my little brother, which is also wrong, by the way." But he said, "Why? Why did you want to see the women's game?" Well, because I could understand. I it was. They were like ballet dancers on the court that there was, it was easier to follow. I could see the strategy and, you know, this is exactly right. And here we are, you know, 40 years later, 50 years later, people come up to us and say, we prefer the women's game, which, you know, we like both games, but we prefer the women's game because I can see what they're doing. I can follow the ball. The men's game is too fast, too, too strong, too whatever. It's a different proposition, but there's beauty to both. And I think this shift is, is people are starting to understand the beauty of women's sports. And it is a little bit of a different proposition, but it's equally incredible from a performance standpoint. If we keep if we keep the discussion on the, the, the I suppose the relevant newsy topics of the last twelve months or so, there has been such a an upsurge in sports people across the board using their platforms to 
make a difference. But it does seem that the female athletes in particular have really embraced that. And they, they were doing it long before 12 months ago. And, you know, Mickey in tennis, we've had um, Naomi Osaka, particularly with her face masks at the US Open. The WNBA stars have really been trying to make a difference. Is there something you know, with what you said, Mickey, and the, the innate feeling amongst women, rightly or wrongly, to over-deliver, to overperform, to to make their point? Is there something that you think makes the female athletes more comfortable or more willing to have embraced that position than their male counterparts? So it's really interesting. And actually, this may be the, the perfect moment to show you the video that we've put together. Because when, when I speak to athletes, um, you know, I, I, I try to comfort them. You're not trying to be your male counterparts you're unlocking the best that you can be, which is really, really exceptional. It's, 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 it's extraordinary. You've managed to, to harness your talent and you've backed it up with incredible hard work and look at what you've delivered, but don't lose that femininity because it is also a very attractive feature that we need to, to embrace. And so, um, so, so it's, it's just fascinating to see where we are today especially when I can compare it, because I've got the benefit of time, to where we were. And what we can present today is very different to what we could present 20 years ago. Do you think you've got the credit for what you've done in your career working in women's sport that you would have got had you been doing the equivalent of the ATP or a men's sport? Yes, I do. Um, and, you know, I, I don't really think about the credit or needing, but I'm sitting here, which I, I consider massive credit. Yeah. Danita, you've made the switch, as you, you talked about earlier, from women's sport to, to the men's world. Um, have you noticed much of a change? Um, yes, it's different. It's very different. Um, and I don't even, I don't want to say it's a bad difference. It's just two different it's two different fights, two different types of things that we're going after. I, I think there was a different type of, both have depth, but it was very different um, in the women's space of what we were fighting for. And when you work in kind of like, I don't know if this is the proper word for it, so I don't want to use it incorrectly, but um, as, <clears throat> as a women's group, that a women's organization that when you're looked upon is less than a lot of the times um, and the work that you do and your work isn't measured the same. Um, I do consider myself, and I, I don't want to say lucky, I, 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 it's hard to say that, but I, I am kind of one of those lucky ones that was able to make that crossover, where oftentimes I think about some of the people working in our space, and it's not saying it's greater than to be on the men's side. I don't believe in that, but I think us viewed in this space often don't get the opportunities on that side um, at the level um, that is deserved. Um, but I do feel that, you know, there are pieces in the women's space that it's, it's tough, it's hard, um, and you are fighting for something bigger than you um, a lot of the times. That is one of the key drivers that I still feel so connected and will always support and be in some capacity because it's bigger than us. And we all know this is a societal issue that goes so deep that it's, 
everything that we do every day that just gives a little glimmer of hope in the space is very, very important. Do you notice you're treated any differently in, or attitudes towards you any different in the working in men's sport compared to women's? I feel like it's right now it's probably a little bit more seen. I think also too, because it's, um, you know, I'm about two months in, so it's still very fresh to the rest of the world. Um, so I think that it's a little bit more visible um, in the work that we're doing and versus I think we did amazing things in my time in the W that a lot of time was not seen. So the work that we are doing at these high levels and with little that we were provided at times, we made that work and the, the greatness of what occurred often wasn't seen. And that's one of the things that I appreciate about the women of the W and many women across the board when it comes to female athletics, they are helping the work that is being done in this space to be seen. And from leadership perspectives, from those leading the organizations such as Mickey, from the players, um, whether it's on the tennis court or basketball court, their voices are being seen and you're hearing it. Um, and that's what's really important to help elevate the game. I've just seen the time. We, we have flown through uh, our hour or so. So let's just go for another couple of questions. This one has had a lot of votes um, and a really important topic, actually. When talking about DNI, almost never the conversation is about disability. How do you think disability can be brought into the conversation? And how do you think that cultural barriers could be overcome? For example, the ideal of beauty. Um, who wants to go first? Mickey? Well, uh, again, I, I, um, I think all humans have to be given the same opportunity and that has to be our very basic principle when we wake up every day. Um, <clears throat> I know that uh, actually a very, very good friend of mine leads uh, wheelchair tennis <clears throat> for the IDF. <clears throat> Sorry, and um, and the, the challenges are, are huge from logistical challenges to um, opportunity challenges and in tennis we do try um, but we need to try harder and uh, you know the big events uh, again it's it's crazy but uh, just like men's soccer is um, the, the commercial side sometimes helps to fund the women's side um, it, you know we in tennis we also try to help in terms of getting to equal prize money. Um, the same thing happens for wheelchair tennis and other disabilities. Uh, we, we are focused on it and, um, and there's, there's a lot more that, that has to be done. But I, I do think that all of us should have one very simple idea in our minds. Every human being is on this, is part of our world and every human being has the same rights. Oh, as we were talking about um, previously, Mickey, the problem almost with the last 12 months is that everybody's fight to survive is so much tougher from a sporting, from a commercial perspective. Yes. It is these areas like women's football versus men's football. Yeah. When you're in the discussion like this, it's again it's even tougher for the the voices that don't have the power don't have the reach to make their voices heard 
Yes, it's like, <clears throat> you know, the, the smaller the business is, and that is across all business, uh, the smaller the economy of a cafe <clears throat> or a nail salon or in sports, it's the women's, <clears throat> the women's platforms, the harder it is. So, uh, yes, we've been hit very hard in tennis. The men have been hit. I mean, everybody's been hit hard, but um, we have really worked so, so incredibly hard to put together protocols to continue to operate, to continue to protect the revenue streams so that, um, you know, we can avoid a catastrophic scenario. But being a global sport, um, traveling around the world is really difficult. You've probably read about our athletes having to submit to a hard quarantine in Australia for two weeks. And that stuff is, is really difficult and it's equally difficult for the men. But um, our margins and our cushions are much smaller as, as women. And, uh, <clears throat> and so financially, we are going to have to uh, you know, buckle up. I don't think, oh, the men have it easier. I, I don't, you know, it's irrelevant. We all have it very hard and, um, and we have to help our partners and every stakeholder um, re, re, um, recover from, from this. Um, let's, uh, I think we have got time for another couple of questions. Um, this one we're going to answer simply because it's been asked in such a polite manner by Luke Williams. Uh, it says, uh, what are the biggest challenges you've faced in sport? How did you overcome those challenges and how can men help to be better allies? I love it. Brackets. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> um, Danita, would you like to start with that one? Um, I think it's just, I don't want to say just me personally, but I think one of the biggest challenges for a lot of women, and I hate to say minorities in this business, is opportunity. Um, so not being a part of the conversation to even have the opportunity for the for the roles um, that really help to elevate people in the business. So I think one of the big challenges is being at getting the opportunity to even be considered, not even saying you're getting to the table, just to be part of the discussion. Uh, for consideration and a lot of the different roles that happen in the business, I think is one of the ones that we have to get better at. I think people are really trying to do that. So to answer the second part, how do we overcome those challenges? I think it is the continued way in which we recruit and hire and staff, um, having diversity of thought, being open to different um, backgrounds, cultures, even when we talk about um, in the last question where it talked about disability, that being a part of saying, why don't we have more people of in, in our front office in that capacity, right? So looking at it as a whole to be more inclusive of what we bring and represent. Mickey? Uh, yes, I, uh, to, to just one, one different point is that um, I want to be very sensitive to the men um, in this business. And I, at the last thing we want is to alienate them or to make them feel like Oh, you know, we're not on the same team. We are on the same team, and uh, and we respect very much what they bring to the table. And I would hate hate to to live in a world or to work in an office or um, to have a family with no men. I think we're stronger together. And in fact, our founder Billie Jean King has always said we are at our best when we're together and when we when we interact as equals. So, so we, we need to do that. So where do you stand on the, the term feminist? Do you consider yourself a feminist? 
Yes, yes, of course. I'm a feminist, and I'm I'm also a. Uh, um, what's the opposite of a feminist? I, I stand for 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 human beings, men and women, and I'm a feminist when there's when there's disparity or or um, when things are not fair for, for a woman, which. You know, it happens, but I'll tell you a quick story, if I may. I was presenting at a soccer club in Argentina called Boca Juniors, and we were in the boardroom. Um, I was told before I flew down there that I needed to bring a man. So my boss came, who was is the president of the company, and I spoke Spanish. He didn't, and he was a super trooper to come down with me. And we were in the boardroom, all men, and we had a break after the presentation. And I asked the president of the club, can I use your restroom? And he said, you know what? I've been worried about this for days because we don't have a ladies restroom and in this in this boardroom. And I said, well, unless you want me to pee in the plants, then may I use your men's restroom? And um, and so we laughed about it. You know, we laughed about it. He felt badly. I kind of used humor to diffuse the situation. But but it was like, what? <laughs> you know, so then have a unisex bathroom, who cares? But let's quit with the delinea delineation or the, you know, the separation. Yes, we're different, but we, br and we bring different things and together we complete the picture in a very nice way. So anyway, I hope they have a, a unisex bathroom today. And I, I have to say, I was somebody who was fortunate enough to fortunate in inverted commas to grow up uh, going to football soccer um, as a child in boardrooms and there was many an occasion uh, I would go with my father and uh, there was many an occasion I was put in the women's room um, and not allowed into the main boardroom and the women were, were given a plate of sandwiches and uh, not allowed in, in the boardroom. I, I, I'm pleased to say I don't think they're still existent uh, in English football uh, today. But one from each of you, final bit of advice for somebody uh, wanting to embark on a, a journey to become a, a female leader in sport, what would it be? Um, it's a lot of fun. Buckle up. Be ready for good challenges. Um, I would say from make sure you are seeking opportunities that really you feel like you can embrace and can challenge you and push you forward. Don't be afraid to do something different um, or change up your pathway in any capacity in order to grow in the business. And Mickey? Stay authentic and, um, and work on your own luck focus on preparing for when that opportunity comes. Perfect. Thank you ever so much. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you both. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon. 